Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you will, to the book of Isaiah again. We're talking about faith or compromise. Faith or compromise. This message goes back, weaves in my life and around and stories. It goes all the way back to my beginnings. And it's little pieces here that the Lord brings together at the end of your life. You know, I've been here 40 some years and you know, you don't have 40 more. I don't think if I do praise the Lord, but he begins to bring things together so you can see a bigger picture, see it better. You're preaching years and all of that. Maybe that's what I meant. But in Isaiah 30 verse 10, he said, I want you to write this in a, in a book. I want this never to get away from my people. I want them to always know this. That's why I want you to write it in a book. So this is a rebellious people. But Lord, they're your people. Yeah, they are my people. I specifically chose them. Miracles and signs and wonders and so forth. Yes, they are my people. But he said, they are rebellious children. They are lying children. They will not hear the law of the Lord. They say to the preachers and the teachers, don't prophesy right things to us. Prophesy smooth things to us. Quit talking about the Holy One of Israel. We're getting convicted by what you're saying. We're troubled by the words you speak. They're interfering with our freedoms and our designs in life about what we want to do and where we want to go. Our conscience is bothering us after you preach. We don't like that. We only live a short time. We want to be free and have a good time down here. Don't declare the word of the Lord to us all the time. Then he said this, prophesy illusions. Make up stuff. It doesn't have to be true. And a lot of it today I don't think is. But that's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. But he said, prophesy illusions. Prophesy smooth things. Do you have to bring the hammer all the time, Isaiah? And God says, you know, it's your attitude that's going to prevent you from enjoying all the things that God has promised. You really don't want it. The little taste of what you've got means more to you than what God has promised in the bigger picture. And you don't want to hear anymore. You don't want to have any restraints, any restrictions. You want to have liberal faith. You want to just go any direction you want to. And what's right for you, if you really meant it, it's okay. And he said, these are lying children. They're rebellious children, children that will not hear the word of the Lord. And in verse 12, the verse we played on last week, he said, here's how God interprets that kind of a life, that kind of an attitude. A person who is like that, they'll never admit it, but a person who is like that, the Bible says they despise the word of the Lord. Now, they would never admit that. We don't despise your word. And God says, you know, when you hear it, you, when you dread to hear it, when you cringe at having to hear what God has to say, especially when that word that he has to say commands a decision in your life, you don't like it because you don't want to change. And I'm never going to leave you alone. You're going to change the rest of your life. And if you don't want to hear what it takes then what I'm interpreting as your decision is that you despise this word. That's what he said in verse 12. Now, our word compromise, the other part of this 
message, faith or compromise. To compromise means to concede something that you have once held to. It means you give ground. In the political world and the world amongst nations, it means you meet somebody halfway. You're willing to give up something in order to get, you know, Israel was willing to give up land to get peace. That was a foolish attitude. But that never works and it won't work. But that's called compromise. And in the Christian faith, God tells us what he wants us to believe. He will not make you believe it. That's why he said these are lying and rebellious children. If he made you believe it, you would never be rebellious. But God simply shows us the way that we should live. Now, we all live by choices. That's what faith is. And we're given what is the right choice to make. The right choice, as well as the wrong choice, has consequences. If you want to walk God's way, then this is what's going to happen. And you're going to have to. And, but if you don't walk God's way, then, you know, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. There's no compromise there. It's either or. So you think, boy, what a tight word this is. Well, it is a narrow word. The Bible speaks of it being a narrow or a straight way. And so to compromise means that, well, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't think I have to. And you start talking that way because you're wanting to back out or back away from a position that God wants you to hold. He said, the just shall live by faith, but... If any man draws back, the consequence of drawing back is my soul. God said, my soul, me, shall have no pleasure in you, let alone you having all his loving arms wrapped around. He said, my soul will have no pleasure in you. So I can't draw back. But see, this is what the word of God is supposed to do. You're supposed to hear it. You're supposed to examine what he said. You're supposed to think about it, meditate on it. You're not supposed to do it because somebody else does it or not do it because somebody else didn't. You hear the word, you're supposed to ponder and think about it. Then you're supposed to make a decision. God holds you responsible to be a doer of his word and not just a hearer only. We may pride ourselves about the many years we've been in church and gone to church and a member of a church and served the church, blah, blah, blah. But it only matters whether or not you're a doer of the word, not of a system. And people don't like that. I know they don't like that. I know they don't like that before I say that. But it's the truth anyway. Because what we believe, what we profess and confess to believe is supposed to be a conviction of our heart. And our conscience is only at peace as long as we're living it. We may suffer for it, we may go to jail for it, but we have peace about all that because our conscience doesn't condemn us. Our conscience casts judgment on all of our decisions. Faith is a decision. A decision that is in harmony with what God has said. And if God said this is the way walking in it, faith says I have no other choice. I can make another choice, but only one choice is right, so I'm gonna do that. And your conscience will say that's right. And then you say, well, I want to do this. It's going to cost me something, but I'm going to do it. Your conscience says, you're all right. That's why you can have, as the song says, peace in the valley. You can have peace in turmoil. You can have peace in all kinds of difficulties, consternations. You can have peace. 
You can go to a burning flame in peace because your conscience says you are doing what God gave you as a conviction to do. You're a believer. And God will say, well done. Wouldn't it be nice if every day of your life you had peace? You were never in turmoil. There was never an unleashed tiger inside of you just ripping and roaring. Even though you were suffering, you still had peace. Wouldn't it be nice? It would be. Because Jesus said, I give you my peace. I want you to walk the way I walked. I want you to yoke yourself up with me. Live the life I give you to live. And you'll suffer for it the rest of your earthly life. You'll be hated, despised, and rejected, and cast down, spoken evil of, and persecuted. But it's the life I want you to live. And if you live it, you'll have peace. Now, we can't understand that in this age. And anything that's going to get in our way because we believe something, there's a willingness to compromise. We say, well, why would I want to do that? Indeed, why? Didn't the devil begin with, hath God said? And he's still saying it in some form. Well, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so compromise is a very easy thing to do. Daniel could have done it in Daniel 6, but he didn't. He was willing to die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were willing to die. They said, we're not going to do what you want us to do. You throw us in the fire furnace, God will deliver us out. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. That's a conviction. I don't think they went into the fiery furnace screaming, ah! I think they had peace. You know that? I think they had peace. I think they walked in knowing, you know, I really don't want to die. I'm much too young to die. But I'm going to trust the Lord. My hope is in God. And they walked in there, and sure enough, God delivered them out of that thing. Luther, we told about him in the Reformation in 15 and 21. He was told to come down to Worms, Germany for a big conference there that was called together by the Catholics. They not only wanted to hear what he had to say, but they wanted to condemn him, capture him, and then kill him while he was there. But he had too many followers, and they couldn't do the second part. But he stood before all these people knowing that he was about to open his mouth as an Augustinian monk, a theologian, very popular. He was about to open his mouth and oppose the whole system. He knew the whole established religion of the hour, the Catholic Church, was going to come down on him. He knew that. Just like Daniel did when he threw the windows open. I know what people are going to say about me. I know what they're going to do to me if I say this. He told him, he said, my conscience is bound to the word of God and I cannot change. Where are those people today in the church? There's some. My conscience is bound to the word of God. I am not free to think any way I want to. My freedom, where I find my peace, is in doing it and thinking and living the way God wants me to live. You see, for all of us, let me take the ministry for just a minute, because God uses ministry. Doesn't he still use preachers and teachers and so forth? He puts ministry in the church for the purpose of instructing the people, teaching the people, calling to their remembrance what God has said, showing them what, light. If they speak not according to this word, they have no light. So a minister's job is to bring light. He can't bring it if he doesn't have it. So he's got to get it. 
one of the requirements to be in the ministry, I am sure, is to have knowledge of the Word. You don't have all of it, but you've got to have some degree of knowledge or at least an anointing about it. And I can tell you this, after 40-some-odd years of doing what I'm doing, that some of the things that God teaches you, some of the convictions he brings to your heart, are really what you believe. People don't like it. They don't like it. Listen, all of us like to be liked. Now, some people act like they don't want to be liked. But all of us like to have friends and to be liked. For somebody to really care about you and care for you. And so we try to compromise anything that would get in that way. We don't want to mess up a friendship by saying what we believe. I mean, don't say it. I remember one person told me years ago, if you're going to preach on Christmas, I'm not coming. Now, I knew if I spoke on it that this person would probably quit coming. See, it, it's not like the Bible has anything to say about it. It's your personal vendetta against me. And so you preach on it and you lose friends. I've lost friends for 40 years. I've had things said about me personally for 40 years. This message is not about me. I'm just prefacing what I'm about to say as experience that I have had in life. I would like to think if you study the Bible enough, 40 or 50 years later, you've learned something. And if those things you've learned really are the way you live because it's conviction and you're in the pulpit, that's what you're going to preach. Because if you don't preach that, then people can't see how you live. They can't see it. It has little work or little effort or value. Take holiness. Should we preach holiness? And this subject is way bigger than our meeting this morning, the subject of holiness. You know, when the Bible says be holy as God is holy, or be perfect as God is perfect, those things are pretty lofty. But what is holiness but the life of God? Living the life that God gives. Living on his terms. That's what Christianity is. That's what produces holiness. Acceptable living before God is as we live on his terms. Then should we not preach his terms? It's okay to say amen because that was good. Should we not say what he says? Should we not bring it about? Of course we should. And the only reason we wouldn't is because you don't want to offend this one or that one or them or those, or you don't want them to not come, so you sort of back off. That's called compromise. This is what bothers me in the last days. It is so easy for us to have been taught and have accumulated a certain amount of knowledge which is guiding our life to start backing off and backing away from because we're afraid of what somebody thinks. Listen to what Ezekiel said. Chapter 22 about the call in a ministry to distinguish between right and wrong so that people can be holy. God said to his priests, his preachers, he said, her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. Then you would agree with me as we would agree with him that one of the 
demands made on ministry, or here he said the priest, which in the New Testament would be the ministry, is to make a difference between what's right and what's wrong. And to make a difference between what's clean and what's unclean. It doesn't mean that people will do that. It simply means they have heard that, and now they've got a choice to make as to what they're going to believe. You're not a believer because you hear the word. You're a believer because you do what it says. Anybody can hear, but not many do. That's what faith is. Faith is being a doer of the word. You know, we went through all of that. In Leviticus chapter 10, he says, you are to teach my people how to live. My people have been in Egypt for 400 years. They don't know how to live. They are totally victims of their feelings and their passions. They act the way they feel. They know nothing of God except they see and they saw and they're seeing his wonders. But they don't know anything. Well, I'm in a church where stuff happens all the time. That's great. But what it comes down to, have you responded to what God says? Are you a doer of his word? And the priests were to go about and to teach the people. You can't do that. Don't do that. Stop that on the Sabbath day. Don't do it. In Ezekiel 22, the people were working on the Sabbath day like they always did. And the priests weren't saying anything about it. And God said to the priests, the preachers, he said, you're profaning my law. You're like the people out there who hate my law. You're not making the distinctions. You're not calling to their attention. You're wrong. This is not right. You can't do that. This is not the way we live. And people don't like to hear that. I know that. But that's what they do. Teaching. Instruction. Opening of the eyes. Didn't God say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go? I will counsel you with my eye upon you. It's the way he said to live. I mean, this is what teaching is all about. Teach me, Psalm 86, teach me thy way, O Lord. Why? That I may walk in your truth. I can't walk in something that I don't know what it is. And I can be very religious and very wonderfully hearted and never knew anything. But, Lord, if you'll teach me what I'm supposed to do, I may not like the decision I have to make, but I'll do it because my heart's right. But I've got to be taught. Would you agree with me this morning that a lot of people don't like what God has to say? Or they don't like your version of it. We don't mind you preaching, just don't teach. Because teaching breaks down a verse or a sentence and begins to deal with specifics. That's where your conscience comes into play because it is constantly measuring what is said by what you're doing. You say, well, yeah, he's talking to you this morning. You hear what he said? You're not doing that. And that's why sometimes we recall or we draw back from hearing the whole counsel of God. You know, in the Christian church, a little bit that I would hear about our specific water baptism and, and communion on Sunday. That was sort of the Campbellite version of the gospel. Campbellite, Alexander Campbell started. Oh, anyway, when you went beyond that, you start adding anything to that. It was kind of a, hmm. After we got a new preacher, he'd talk about being saved. I remember thinking as a kid, saved? 
Was he a Baptist? They're the only people who talk like that. It seemed like everybody had their little niche. We don't want to hear all of it. We don't want to gather the whole thing. We don't want to be isolated from... We just want to hear the whole council. And yet when you hear it, everybody in the room gets pierced in some way. Everybody. Everybody will have to make some decisions that changes your life. And the preacher knows he's going to be very unpopular when he says certain things. I remember Christmas. I remember the first time I... I opposed it. I kept it to myself. That's the safest thing to do, isn't it? And then one time I found I could not keep my mouth shut. And I said something like, well, you know, Christmas is not scriptural. And you would think I just spit on the new carpet. I don't remember all the exact details or the time. I didn't. I don't take notes about all of this. But I can remember the people's response. What? Aren't you a Christian? Like you know, Christmas is Christian, and I think no, it is not. Christmas is. I didn't say this then. I would say it now. Christmas is Catholic. Christ Mass, a Mass for Christ. And people came to that. And it became a holiday in place of New Year Day at the end of the year. The rebirth of the sun. When the days get longer, well, they have the birth of the sun. So they incorporated that into a holiday, and they had a mass for Christ. They called it Christ Mass. And the whole world fell into it. Well, once I saw that, I thought, now, this is what a conviction does. I can't do that anymore. Why not? Well, because it's not right. Here we are living here in Shelbyville back in the 70s, and my brother one day comes in at this time of year, the whole, whole time of year, brought Christmas presents for my family, and, and I'm thinking, oh, brother, if I could run downtown and buy something real fast, I could get out of this. But it was a confrontation. I said, brother, uh, thank you, I appreciate that. We don't, we don't. We don't do this anymore. And my brother's very diplomatic. He had all the polish. And I had none. He had it all. He said, that's all right. He said, that's okay, man. I understand. It's all right. How you doing? I didn't change the subject. And I'm embarrassed, and I think, man, oh, man, oh, man. But I took a stand. I remember what my friends thought. My parents, you're not doing that anymore? And when in the community, you're not doing what? You don't do what? Merry Christmas. I don't mind. If people say Merry Christmas to me, they can say Merry anything. I don't, that doesn't bother me. I just say thank you because they meant it. They meant it well. They weren't trying to offend you. They were just hey, Merry Christmas. Thank you. But you take a stand. Easter. Easter's not even, to me, not even a Bible word. It's in the Bible, but it's a terrible translation. It's a word for Passover. And how did rabbits... Fertility gods? How did all the Easter egg, how did all that creep into the church as a function of the church? Or Halloween? That one's easy to get out of. But it's for the children. You know, we're just, we're trying to make them afraid. You know, we just want to have something for the children, you know, to scare the daylights out of them. 
And I just took a stand. I don't believe in any of that. And then I got labeled. And the labels were derogatory. You know, he or that church, one of the two words. Oh, they think, and you know, they think they're better than everybody because they don't do Christmas. That's not true. I don't do Christmas, but I'm not like that. I'm trying to be honest. I mean, what you're hearing is what you get. And where I'm going, this is the way I believe. If you don't want to go that way, then you just measure what the man said. What did he say? I know our stands upset people. Stands on separation from the world. From Disney World and all of this. The stuff that goes with Fantasia, Fantastic, and all of that kind of Mickey Mouse, Seven White, and the Snow Dwarfs. Snow White and the Seven, you know, all of that, and Peter Pan and the magic, the magic kingdom. Well, I can't associate myself with that because I don't believe in magic. I don't believe in luck. And people think, so what's the big deal? Well, see, you can sit there. You don't have to have my convictions, but I'm required to give them to you. This is a stand that I'm willing to take. And, you know, people, you take a stand, you begin to separate yourself from stuff and, and things that are wrong and things you shouldn't. And, you, you know, I remember when I didn't take the Pledge of Allegiance. I've told you about the church I was in once where I stood up there. At the, they had the church flag here and they had the American flag over there. And I was preaching a graduation service at a homeschool for two kids, a boy and a girl. Most popular, best looking, and all, you know, they were two. And so I'm sitting here with the church and said, we shall now salute the Christian flag. And uh, everybody was looking right at me, and, and there was the flag. And I, I thought, I not only don't know how to salute a Christian flag, whatever that is, but I don't think I can. And then it came to the American flag. I looked these words up in the dictionary just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. But I pledge allegiance to a flag that represents a country, a nation. And for what the nation stands for. Do you know what it stands for? Does anybody know today what America stands for? I personally do not. Minorities, the sexual world, the agnostic world here in our own town are beginning to take over. The, the fewer people can just make demands and everything's beginning to change. And you think... Man, I can't pledge allegiance to that. You know why I can't? Because I've given my heart to Christ. I'm a citizen of another kingdom. I live in America and I pray for it. I do pray for our country. I pray for two countries, for America and for Israel. And I pray for our government. I pray that things will work well, that we'll have peace down here, that our kids can grow up without being in a violent situation all their life. I pray that. But my loyalty, folks, all of you, my loyalty is to Christ. I cannot spread that or share that. I cannot give it to God and then give it to the world or the country. And so, you know, you take a stand, you say all of those things, you know people are going to be offended if you say that. You can talk about marriage. You know, years ago, people would say, how do you feel about divorce and remarriage? And I thought, you know, really, I don't know. I do not know. Well, you should know, shouldn't you? And I thought, maybe I should. I don't know. 
my parents divorced when I was little, and you know, I'd been around that all my life, and it's everywhere in most, every home in every church in America. I don't know what I believe about it, and then I would look at a few things, read a little bit, and I think, well, I don't know if anybody knows anything about it. So somebody later on, what do you believe about that? Well, I don't know. It's just kind of confusing, I think. Now, here's what compromise will do. Well, I don't know if the Bible's clear on it, and therefore I cannot take a stand if I'm not certain myself about it because I think the issue can go either way, and therefore I'm willing to leave it alone. That's not an answer. That's sort of a cop-out. So somebody really wanted to know one day, I was talking to somebody this is years ago, what do you believe? What would you do if? What about this? What about that? And I couldn't answer questions, and I'm a pastor. And I think, I owe it not only to God, but to people who sit out there where they want to stay sitting out there. And I'm going to tell them what I believe. So I began to study. And I read it, and I studied it, and I argued with myself, and this way and that way, and I came to the conclusion that I don't believe in it. Divorce sometimes is, you can't help it, but I don't believe in remarriage because I believe in the power and the commitment of a vow. When two people take a vow, think of it. He says to her, I will. She says to him, I will. Now, the vow is not contingent on whether he does or she does. The vow is to whom? God. And so he backs out, she runs off or something. Well, I'm free now. And I think, well, no, not really. you got to hold fast what you promised. He didn't. She didn't. But you must. And therefore, and therefore, and therefore, your best choice is don't marry. Stay single the rest of it. Well, you know how that would work. I'll tell you what. When I say that, when I taught on that, it's a lengthy teaching, and it's still difficult. Even today, standing here, of one of the most difficult issues I've ever dealt with. I'm not afraid of it. I just know the difficulty in teaching it and the difficulty in thinking about it and the difficulty with the issues concerning it. I know that. I'm not ignorant of all of that. But I know that if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to be upright in heart, I must say what I believe. I can always change. I can always see it better than I have seen it. And I can always get corrected. But I've got to be honest. I do. And if it, and it has, God knows it has. I've grieved over it a lot. And if it causes people to dislike you, turn away from you, and then speak about you, and they do, then that's just part of the price you pay. I don't like that. I don't enjoy that. But I have to take a stand. I remember years ago when we first got saved, the war was against the TV set and against certain kinds of tennis shoes and sports was out. And I can tell you 40 years later, uh, I don't care about the tennis shoes. That don't mean a thing to me. I see no redeeming value in sports. I see none. Except the fact that it does give, and I can say this for Bonnie and I, it gave us a chance to spend time with our children at critical times in their life. But when it was over, it was just a very fleshly thing. There are other things that they could do better, I am sure. But at the time, it was, as it was being taught, you couldn't do that. You better not do that. Just better not be so on and so forth. It's just stands that we had to take convictions. I remember talking about working at a distillery, you know, last week. My fellow said, I can't do that. And after a while, he got the light and got out. 
And I'm sure his friends say, why did you get out? And then you take a stand because of what the Bible says. <laughs> what? Where are you from? I'm from Clawhammer, Tennessee or Texas or Oregon. What are you doing in Kentucky? I came here to church. You came here to church for a church to, to visit? No, I moved here for a church. Where? And they mentioned, oh, that church. That dumpy little church out there in the concrete cathedral? Yeah. Wow. And people can't imagine. I don't know if there's ever been an age in which the masses of people are more untaught, uninformed than today. I mean, they hear stuff. I don't know how much actually they're informed or taught. Convictions, taking a stand, living your convictions. I know a fellow sitting in this room this morning that either gave up a job or was fired from a job because he wouldn't stack medical supplies. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And folks, what? That was his conviction. You say, well, I could do that. Well, you're different. See, everybody has got to walk in the light that he or she had. Did you hear me? This is the way walk ye in it. And again, you're not going to be popular doing that. Take one of the things that talked about in minorities a while ago, the homosexual age. The age of, well, homosexual activity. And the media loves to play on it because it's so controversial. And anything that will aggravate society or aggravate people, they love to print it. Sometimes I wonder what kind of spirit, well, I do know what kind of spirit's behind the media. There was a time we had different names for homosexual people. They have a problem because the Bible defines it. And so when you look at it, you say, well, what you're doing is not scriptural. Well, I was born this way. No, you weren't born that way because the Bible says concerning people that do what you do, that God eventually, at some point, gives you up to your vile passions. He didn't give you vile passions and then give you up to them. He didn't say, I'm going to give you some vile passions and I'm going to give you up to Well, that doesn't make sense. No, it's a choice. Here's a clip off of the Internet. He said, the government of Denmark has made it mandatory for all churches to conduct gay marriages regardless of religious beliefs, conscience, or convictions. No church or minister in Denmark is exempt from complying with this new law. Could it happen in America? It's either that or jail. It says, could America be next? He said, could a law be passed that would order American churches to perform gay ceremonies if they want to maintain their tax-exempt status? Well, we don't have a tax exemption here. We're not an organization that the government recognizes. We're just a body of believers, poor souls. But could I perform a gay wedding? I would like to think... All weddings should be gay. <laughs> Let me tell you how the dictionary defines gay. Cheerful. How about chipper? How about merry? How about lively? How about happy? How about joyful? I think when I was growing up, our dictionary back in those dark ages... Uh, we use the word gay a lot. 
Gay apparel, you know, the Bible uses that. But see, it's all changed. A, a few people talk about it so much that now it's changed. Gay has to do with a perversion of one's nature, of a man being attracted to a man for sexual reasons and a woman being attracted to a woman for sexual purposes and satisfactions. And that is not normal. God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve for the purpose of procreation. That to me is as simple. My buddy here on the front row could understand that. If he was awake, he could understand that. <laughs> he could. Well, he got up at early five-something this morning to go feed calves, so he's, he can take a nap. <laughs> but I would like to think, I'd like to think that all of us, as we go to church to hear the word, that we do want to know what's right. I want my life to be right. I want to make things right in my life. I don't want to dread doing right. Teach me your way, Lord. I want to get it right. I am not an adversary to homosexual people. I believe they're all wrong. I'd witness to any one of them and talk to any one that would allow me. I have made a decision. I am not their enemy. But I will not go along with it either. I will not compromise my beliefs in that area any. Not because I'm superior, it's just that I believe what the Bible says is true, especially in Romans chapter 1 about that. And then you can go on and on about the things that we believe and the specifics that we preach. We preach about being healed by the Lord and not by the world and the system because God is able. He said his word is medicine to our flesh. And people say that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Bonnie and I have been well and whole for 40 years now. We never had a shot or a medical exemption, period. Not because of any superiority. I just trust God that he'll do this. Yeah, but now you're getting older, you know everything will fall apart. Now, it doesn't have to. It certainly doesn't have to because there's no verse in the Bible that says it'll have to. In fact, the Bible says that when the evil days come, when you can't taste, smell anymore, he said, God will sustain you. He'll give you a peace that is appropriate for your age. He'll give you a time of rest that comes with it. God will not abandon us. He said, just trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not to your own understanding. God's word for healing is throughout the scriptures. From Exodus and Deuteronomy and, and Proverbs 4, he said, his word is medicine to our flesh. What is clearer than that? He sent his word, Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent his word and healed them. Exodus 15, he said to his chosen people, he said, now, I am your doctor. That's what he said. I'm the Lord that heals. He gave him his Hebrew name, Yahweh Rofikah. He said, I am the Lord, your curer. You come to me. You trust me. Egypt was full of physicians. Egypt and Greece is where all of that started. But he said, I am the one you'll turn to. And you know what? He did it in such a way that it wasn't a feeble. When they got to the land, there wasn't a feeble one amongst them. And they've been marching around in that desert out there for 40 years. How about that? And people look at us today strange. You mean you believe it? That's the church that doesn't believe in doctors. Some of us do. Some of us don't. 
We all live by choices. I declare what the Bible says. You make the choice. Well, I don't believe in God. I believe it's okay. Then that's your choice. That's your choice. That's what you're going to take to the throne. Right or wrong, that's what you're going to take to the throne. My job is to declare the whole counsel of God. I can't make anybody believe the way I believe. Your conscience is not bound to me or my teaching. I'm simply declaring what you must consider. If it's not of God, forget it. If it's not right, throw it out. If it's not in context or you're being misled, don't believe it. I must believe what I say. You hear me? You must believe what's in your heart that, that you're going to believe. It just stands that we take, folks. Could a Christian wear a jacket with a devil on the back of it? Watch out. Could he? Would you want your kid to be a part of a team that you're the blue devils of Duke? Or the red devils of Jeffersonville or whatever? They said, well, you had a pirate on the back of your jacket when you grew up. The Charlestown Pirates, what about that? Well, I wasn't saved, and I don't wear one now. <laughs> There's things I won't do anymore. Amen. There's things I won't wear. There's symbols I won't permit. In our home, with some things you won't find there. That's our conviction. I shared some of my convictions with other people just so they would consider it. And then some thought, well, now we can't have that or we can't wear that. I didn't say that. I want no followers. There will be no Hamiltonites on planet Earth or in the kingdom of God. Or Freemanites or Branhamites or any other ites, icks, or ticks. We are all individually required to relate to God. Individually. You cannot base your faith on what I say or what I do. You must base your faith on what God gives you and what God says to you. You teach me about the occult and about Ouija boards and fortune telling and I can see that. That won't be in my house and I will not participate ever. I won't read the astrology charts or even look at them. Because that's something that is of the devil. Just like Halloween is of the devil. I'm not going to sign petitions. I'm not going to protest because we are not here to protest the government. We are here to pray for the government. It's not a Christian's duty to run the government. How could a Christian represent heathens? So we take, I do, we take a stand. I can't take the oath. Say, will you swear? I will not swear anything. I'll give you my word. And people think, well, you're so out of touch. Maybe one of us is. Maybe one of us is out of touch. If I'm out of touch with God, I want to be in touch. If you're out of touch with God, I'd sure like to inform you how you get back in touch with God. But we all have a life to live. We have a way to live that the Bible says in Matthew 7 is a straight gate. Let me read that over Matthew 7. Would you follow me? Matthew 7 and verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now this is in the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most difficult systematic set of teachings in all of Scripture that are violated by almost everybody in the church. If you start with chapter 5, and I just read chapter 5 uh, last night before I went to bed. And I thought, you know what, Lord, 
this thing begins with way over our heads as far as choices we're making. Blessed are those that are this and blessed are these and, the, and blessed, blessed, blessed. And I say, you know, these are not socially acceptable characteristics. This is not tough and mean and bad to the bone. People don't like to hear this. And yet, right there it is. And he goes through chapter 6 and wow. And then chapter 7 is big wow. And he ends chapter 7 and says, you know, a man that hears my words and doesn't want to do them, he's like a man that built his house on the sand. And he for sure will fall. And he won't be able to stand. Because the only thing that can ever hold us up is the word of God. But Matthew 7, again, verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. He said, for straight is the way, uh, and, and narrow is the way, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Well, what a sermon that is. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life. And what does he say? Few find it. You know why they don't find it? Because they don't look for it. You know why they don't look for it? I would say rewind the tape, but we don't have tapes anymore. You go back to the beginning. It's not convenient. In this age, with your program, your aspirations, your desire, your pursuits in life, I just don't think I can do it. You want to be religious. You just don't want to live this way. So we begin to compromise, modify, and hope that what we're doing is enough. And it doesn't work that way. How narrow is this? If you put your hand to the plow, the way of life, and you look back to the way you came from, because this way is not easy, it's not fun, and you look back to where you were, and your devil starts telling you all the things you're missing. The Bible says you look back, you'll long to go back, and what does he say? You're not fit for the kingdom. People like that won't fit in God's program. It won't work for them. Because they'll keep wanting to compromise and turn back and, and shut their eyes to some things or ears to some things. Or the just shall live by faith. If you're right with God, you live by faith. You live as though everything he says is what you've got to live by and the way you do it. And you begin to live that way. But he said, if any man draw back, he says it again because God's honest. He's fair. Not easy, but he's fair. He said, if any man draws back, he said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And I have known, as you have known, many in my life who followed a teacher, followed a preacher, who based their life on what the preacher said, didn't know so much about what the Bible said. They just, whatever the preacher said was what they did. And if the preacher said, you shall not carry a certain purse or eat a certain kind of a box mix cake or something. And that's his opinion. He's a right to that. Then people begin to make a rule out of that. They begin to make that a law. A man called me once and wanted to know if I still hunted, still had guns. And I said, I have both. I have guns and I do hunt. I have a gun, two of them actually. More. I have more than two. And I still hunt. Actually, I have more than three. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> and I said, yes, I sure do. He said, well, didn't you hear what was said on the tape last week? And I said, I did. And you're still going to hunt anyway? I am. 
I do not base, personally, with all of you here, I do not base my convictions on what you think is right. Nor should you base your convictions on what I think is right. But we must all base our convictions on what God says is right. If a man is not speaking according to the word, forget what he said. I've said that before. But when God says this is the way we should walk, this is the way that we should walk. And there was a day back years ago, if a man went to a doctor, he was pretty much out. If he wore glasses or had a crutch, I don't know what all. You, there, you couldn't do anything except hide and hope you didn't get caught. And when people came to see you, boy, you, they're, they're coming to uh, 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 hide something. <laughs> oh, I am... A visitor came to my house once. Maybe that's why Bonnie and I are not so big on all this. But a visitor came one time and saw in somebody else's house, and he came to me the next service, all concerned. said, Brother Tom, we got to pray about something. I said, what? Well, so-and-so, I was at his house the other day, and he had a book there by Billy Graham. And? Well, he's really, you know, he's really way off. And, uh, yeah, he's... His beliefs, you know, he doesn't believe, he doesn't blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, I don't know exactly what the man believes. But he's been pretty useful to God through the years. Been a few million people come to the Lord. That's a little bit more than what I've seen happen in my life. <laughs> I suspect before we get to judge another man, we ought to consider walking in his shoes for a while. And without saying much more, he thought I was compromising too. He said, so you think it's all right to have a Billy Graham book in your house? I said, well, I think I've got one. <laughs> but see, I don't want people coming to my house going, I look around and say, blood, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. Listen, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 28. Oh, I've been here, folks. You all don't know how much I've been here. 1 Corinthians 10. A man called me one time, wanted to come visit me and follow me around for a week. <laughs> he did. Here's what he said. And just, you know, watch me do this and, you know, my habits and my whatever I do. He wanted to follow me around. And I thought, I'm thinking, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking the last thing in your life you will ever get to do is follow me around all day. I don't want anybody following me around all day except God and goodness and mercy. I don't want anybody else following me around all the time. Oh, he wanted to follow me around and see what it, why? So he can be like me? That's not a good choice. You want to be like Jesus, friend. The measure, the stature, the fullness of him. Hopefully we can rightly represent him to everybody else. But don't say because I am or trying to be or I'm saying. Be it because it's a conviction you have with him, not with anybody else. We don't need people followers here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 28 and 29. Paul said, but if any man say to you, this is offered in sacrifice, it's a meat offered to idols. You know, he was served meat and he was eating it. But if anybody said, you know, that was offered to idols, he said, eat it not for his sake that showed it to him. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the meat in the world is yours from the wily hog 
to the beef or whatever you like. Elk. That's best. Verse 20. Conscience, I say, not your own conscience, but of the other guy. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Listen, I've seen it happen for years and years. We go around like a little policeman. Catching people, not being like us. I went to that church and I counted nine women didn't have a head covering. Nine of them. Oh, blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And I, and, this, and I said, I didn't say this, and I should have said, how many of them did you catch complaining? How many of them did you catch being critical? How many of them did you catch being hateful and high-minded and heady and holier than thou, like you said in Isaiah? How many of them did you catch? Well, they would have all taken off. He just, he's a reprobate. They would have all left. There was a time in my life I got fed up with all the legalism. While I'm pretty legal with myself, I got tired of everybody trying to make everybody live according to somebody else's standards. I think, like he said in Isaiah, let's go on a fast of this mouth. Let's do a mouth fast. Let's quit talking so much about other people. Let's quit demanding other people. Let's have a relationship to God and look in a mirror at ourselves and see how we measure up with him. If we want to aspire to be like somebody, let's aspire to be like Jesus. Let's hold the preacher accountable to preach the whole gospel and preach the truth. Let's say you live that way too. We want you to do that, but you preach the whole gospel. We don't necessarily think your quality of preaching is as good as the content, but that's what we have to have. We come to the place, if you'll follow me in closing, turn to Romans chapter 14 and we can close. Romans 14, what about the differences amongst us in the church, in the body, the local assembly? What about the ones who don't and won't and those who do and will? Is it true with all of us here that some of us have been Christians longer than others? Is it not true that some have learned more than others? That's easy to answer. Is it not true that some are more eager to learn than others? But if everybody is learning something, and some are more eager to learn and not drawing back and dragging and being loafing, and, and they're really after it and they're learning, and some are just, oh, I'm here. They're not giving up, but they're not really pressing in hard like you are, but they're not backing off either. Are they all acceptable to God? They are. You see, one of the things that I saw the day before yesterday and working on this in Mark chapter 4 and verse 20, he said, there are some in the kingdom, you know, the seed that falls on good ground. Remember that? I'm going to say everybody here is good ground. The seed falls on good ground. Some are more eager than others, but everybody's getting the seed. Some will do more with it than others will. Some will be more aggressive with it than others will. Some will challenge themselves and not allow themselves any liberal room in their life, while others will be dragged, oh, well, you know, I, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know if I marry yet or not, but yeah. And some who make it to heaven will bear only 30-fold. Some will go 60-fold. Some will get a 100-fold return.
But they all made it. See, we don't like to think that way. used to not like to think that way. Remember what Jesus said in one of the churches in the book of Revelation? Strengthen the things that remain. You remember that? I mean, you might look at yourself and say, man, I haven't done much of anything with all I've heard. I have let God down for all these years. You know what he said? He said, strengthen what remains. But I don't have much. That's enough. You hold on to that. You carry that 30-fold with, like a treasure, carried it into the kingdom. You may not get the reward of a hundredfold, but you'll be where you would rather be in consequence of all those that didn't make it. You'll be in heaven with Jesus. Am I saying you can back off? I've never said that. I say some are just not aggressive. And you know it, and I know it. Some people try very hard. Some people will diligently listen and strive and write and study all the time where others, you know, they have a good heart. They just don't do much with what they've heard, but they don't give it up either. All I'm saying is I wish everybody would just press in hard. Listen, Romans 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith. That means he's unsettled in his faith. That means he's unsettled in his faith. That means he's unsettled in his faith. Oh, he's unsettled in his faith. That's what he means. He's not like you. You're strong in faith. You're not weak in faith. This one is just, he's new. He's young. She's young. They haven't been in it long. They don't know as much as you have. You've been in it 30 years. They just got here. So he says, those that are weak in the faith, don't start casting doubt on everything they say or do. Don't say, you can't do that. We shouldn't do that. We don't do that. Give them some room. Years ago, going to school one morning, she's not here so I can tell it. I was taking Naomi to school, Living Waters, down the road. She got in the car and I smell Vicks. Cough drops. I thought, what is that? How'd that get in this car? So uh, I said, what you got in your mouth? She said, I got a cough drop. My throat's been low. And I, I remember at the time, I'm going, you got a what? You got a what? Where? I didn't say it that way. I said, Naomi, we, we don't do that. You don't need that. God will take care of that. You see, I'm assuming that because I believe something, everybody in my family does. What I've learned, now that they're all growing up, not all of them believe the way we believed. I think the most aggressive time I've ever known was when I got saved and everybody had Greek and Hebrew and everybody was just, <sighs> boy, we were just, but today it's not like that. We don't give them a lot of room. I do now. I don't give myself any room, but I give them room. Because I know that God can do a quick work and God can accelerate us and God can do a lot of things that I don't see going on in people's lives. And after all, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived yet. I want to be there. I press in. But I realized in talking to her, she didn't have any conviction about that. You're her father. Won't you teach? Well, I teach every week. Yeah, that puppet stuff is good. But how about sitting down on the couch and talking to your child about things of life? Oh, they get to all of that when I'm preaching, do they? Apparently they didn't. 
Papa. And so you begin to realize, you know, I, uh, we all need to give each other a little bit of room. We cannot make people have a baby at home because you did. You can't do that. I have no position on that anyway. If it was up to me, you don't even want to know where I am with that. But we can't make people believe something. You tell them what you can believe. And then from there, the Spirit of God begins to take over. Look at verse 2. For one believes that he can eat anything. Another, he believes he can only eat organic food or whatever. I like to get on that a little bit, though I like organic food now. I don't get me wrong. I live around, you know, pea pods and bean pods and all of that stuff, and I like it. Every now and then I have to force myself to go get me a Big Mac. I haven't had one yet this year, but I'll get me one just to declare my normalcy in this world. But he said there's some who believe they can eat anything. Some are convinced they can't eat pork. Well, why would you not be able to eat pork? Well, because the Bible said, I know, but that was a legal obligation that God put on the Jewish people. And Jesus has finished all of that as a way to be right with God. You cannot, by avoiding certain food, make yourself right with God. Food can't make you right. Jesus has already made us right with God, not by foods and not by works. And he goes on. But let him that eateth not despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not contend or despise him, because God made us all. He made all the food that we eat. Plus, he said in the end of verse 3, God's accepted him. But Lord, he's not doing it right. But he's doing it from his heart because he believes it's right. But Lord... And God will say, you used to do that yourself. I know, but you showed me a better way. He hadn't seen it yet. So leave him alone. Just love on him. He said, well, you shouldn't wash your car on Sunday. Don't wash it. Now, there will come a day he should be able to have some light. He can't stay in that dark place all his life. You teach a man, he'll get some light. He goes on to talk about days. You know, you people observe days and this, and I don't know about you. One man believes that one day is above every other day. You know, Sunday is the Lord's day, and it's called the Lord's day because that's the day the Lord returned to the earth. It's the day we've chosen to worship. We're all off work that day and so forth. But it's no holier a day than Wednesday. A day is a day. Paul said, you observe days and weeks and years and times. We don't do that anymore. All of that as a means of being right with God has been set aside. Now, in closing, verse 22, there's so much in Romans 14. In all my years in the faith camp, in all my years, I don't think I've ever heard, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on Romans 14 because of what I've been saying. You've got to give people room to grow. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean I want them to keep being in unbelief. It just means that, look, I'm going to preach the truth. You're going to be offended by it, but the truth, you'll get it. It'll make you free. I'm going to say it. He said, now, hast thou faith in verse 22? You know what you believe? You know what you're convicted of? Good. Have that to yourself and before God. 
For happy is the man that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allows. You got peace. But if you doubt, he ends the verse by saying, whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. We're supposed to live by faith. Our conscience is our guide, our Christian guide. We're supposed to live in peace with God. We're supposed to do things the way he wants us to do, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. This is the way God wants us to live. That's the way we will live. I didn't even get to go to Acts chapter 4 today. But I'll tell you what it says, then we'll go home. He straightly charged the disciples, preach no more in the name of Jesus. You know what the disciples said? Peter said, whether or not we should no longer preach in this name, you decide. You can say what you want to say about that. He said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than the Lord God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's faith. Amen. <coughs> Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, rest upon us, settle upon us as though we were planted seeds somewhere. Cause the seed to grow like the morning dew or like a soft rain, Lord, and saturate us with, with life. Let everything in us that's a tear, that's not wheat, let it be rooted out. We want to be clean and upright before you. We do, Lord. I ask your blessing upon our hearts and minds to receive and to remember what you've said in Jesus' name. Amen.